From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. In the studio today, we have Upstate Child Psychiatrist Dr. Diane St. Fleur. She's been a part of some recent panel discussions about community violence, and today she's going to speak with us about mental health, trauma, and violence in relation to community displacement. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Well, uh, tell us what you mean by community displacement. What is that? Community displacement is the process of a group of people being moved by someone else. So um, I'm living in a community with my fellow community members, and I'm told that I have to relocate because of someone else's uh, decisions and someone else's ideas and plans. Um, so within that... So against your will. Well, um it may not necessarily be against my will. It may be a situation where I'm like, you know what, I, I want to move, but it wasn't a plan of mine's. It not so against my will isn't the the term, but it's loss of agency. Uh-huh. Um, it's not being done by the person experiencing be, the move. It's being done by an other source, and that's an, and that's important because the experience of being moved, whether you agree with it or not. Um, by someone else is a lot different than you being empowered to do so and you being in the lead and making the decision. And so within communities, community displacement, there's that component of loss of agency. And, and that's crucial, um, in a community when a, a community as a collective experiences, not having that control to say where they move, regardless if it's, supposed to be in their benefit or not, and regardless regardless if they may have agreed with it or not, if they had the chance to make that decision. Okay. Okay. Why, uh, why is that important? Well, um, it's important uh, on many fronts. Um, one is it's happening everywhere um, across the nation, including Syracuse, um, there are uh, a number of homes that will be affected affected by the I eighty one viaduct project. Oh, with that's the underway. That they're talking about what to do with. The yes, exactly, exactly. So we have a number of members of the Syracuse community that will be affected by this. Um, two, I uh, I consider uh, part of my research research's premise is that. Community displacement can be viewed as a form of trauma, similar to like a, a divorce. Um, you know, it, two people in a relationship with a family, suddenly they break up over whatever reasons, but it's a, it, it can be pretty traumatic, not just on the kids, but on the adults. Right. You know, your family being ripped apart. And if you think of a community like a family, essentially that's what's happening. Your family's being ripped apart. Um, and, um, and so... As a as a as a physician, as a child psychiatrist in particular, I consider I, I think it's important for medical providers to be very aware uh, if their patients are experiencing community displacement, um, because um, not only do I see it as a form of trauma uh, for obvious reasons, people being split apart, but it decreases the social cohesiveness of a community. Meaning, um, uh, 
sometimes when I'm in the community, I'll hear elders say, you know, remember back when, you know, we could leave our doors open. Remember back when we had the good old days, the good old days. Exactly. Remember back when, um, you know, the, the, the mothers would look out for every, everyone's kids. You didn't have to be biologically related. You just had the system was like a, um, uh, a, a daycare system already built into the community. Um, you know, if mom was out to work, Mrs. Jones would make sure that, you know, we were safe. That's what I mean by social cohesiveness. Um, kids are no, lo- kids are no longer, um, uh, privy to that. It's almost like a luxury and community displacement directly affects that. Um, uh, this notion of, uh, so what I'm talking about when I, I say social cohesiveness and when I give those examples of, you know, Mrs. Jones watching out for other kids is, is reciprocity and trust. You know, there was, there's reciprocity and trust in the community. It stabilizes the community. And these are the factors that mitigate that, um, that fight against crime, fight against gang violence, fight against, you know, the vices of, of, uh, that, that affect our community today. And so that's why uh, I believe community displacement is, is very important to be aware of, especially as a medical provider in this community. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And it, I mean, what you're talking about really it describes what a community is, if it's a strong community. Absolutely. Um, rather than just, I don't know, a neighborhood. Or- Absolutely. And, and if we take it a step further, there's this concept called psychology of space, which is essentially, you know how a baby becomes attached and bonds with their parents? Essentially, that's what the concept is getting at, that we as human beings bond and attach to our, our place of living in a similar way. And, and so, and, and it's important to be mindful of that when we create policies or um, decide to, you know, move forward with grant applications that can um, potentially disrupt that attachment and bond. Um, that's um, as a child psychiatrist, one of the things that we we often assess is the safety, the um, uh, the safe the safety of space of a child. You know, their home, not just their home, but the, their school and the community in which they play and 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 live and. Um, you know, a, a child's experience of living with, if, with, say, gang violence, for instance, that's a, that's an example people can relate to. You know, um, so you know, um, random gunshots or or bullets flying. That that's a lot different than a child dwelling in a space where they can go outside and play and know that they're not just their parents, but other parents are keeping that space safe for them safe. to play and develop. Right. Interesting. Well, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Diane St. Fleur, Upstate child psychiatrist. Um, well, let's talk about how mental health is related to trauma and violence. You talk about gunshots and I mean, that's violence and trauma in the com- in the communities. Um, so how is that related to mental health? Um, trauma is a uh, huge part of. Uh, and, and so is violence, a huge, a huge part of mental health uh, on many levels. I'm, I'm also forensically trained, and so I've had the privilege of working in um, correctional facilities. And a uh, majority of the um, people that are incarcerated or, or waiting um, for trial are have had some exposure to trauma and could uh, qualify as having significant uh, PTSD. 
Um, <clears throat> and so I, I say that to, uh, to mean that um, trauma affects one's um, mental health. It's, it's, just that, it's just that simple. If you look at it on the biological level, so if you're just thinking about the brain, and if you liken the brain to like a limb or something, uh, witness seeing someone die, um, being physically or sexually abused, um, seeing mom and dad fight um, in domestic violence situation, hearing the yelling and the screaming, we call it high expressed emotions. Um, um, every time you step out your house and you have to be <clears throat> careful because there might be some people trying to bully you, um, whether it's because um, um, uh, of who you're connected to, whether it's because of your sexuality. The point is, is that that's like your brain being in a motor vehicle accident, if you will. It's a, it, it affects your brain the same way uh, an actual motor vehicle accident might affect your limbs. Um, and there's various severities of it. You know, it could be a, a minor fender bender all the way to a severe car accident. So when you think either of, way, it seems like you'd be under stress during that. And we hear how bad stress is for the body. Exactly. Also. Exactly. Great point. That's exactly it. And so your brain is under that stress and it causes a cascade of neuroendocrine effects. And it uh, and, and, and then also it um, it changes your behavior. And um, if it gets really bad, you're, you, when us mental health providers are, are dealing with PTSD, we're talking about a person whose brain is always feeling like they're under red alert. They're hypervigilant. They can't sleep. They can't attach. They can't feel loved or they can't feel like they're able to give love. These are symptoms that you often hear in, in veterans who uh, come back after severe exposure to wow. combat. Um, you know, the, the the wife says he's just a shell of himself. He used to be so loving. Well, that's part of when your brain is feeling like it's under that's attack. What yeah, and that can happen to anyone who's dwelling in uh, an unsafe environment, whether it's war and uh, across seas or whether it's here in in our own local communities. And so your brain is always feeling like it's under attack. And it, and and if your brain is under that type of uh, stress and in that type of state, it's hard for it to develop. It's hard for it to make good choices and judgment. And oftentimes, uh, it will grab whatever it tries to grab, whether it's alcohol or drugs, to to self treat. Um, and it's hard to connect with 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 your your family and loved ones. Uh, so uh, trauma and violence. Um, um, are huge contributing factors to um, to the quality lowering the quality of life and affecting people's mental health and um, it's important um, as a as a medical provider to be aware of the, the impacts of trauma oftentimes when a person is in goes to an office other than say uh, a psychiatrist who at, at that point, once a person has reached a psychiatrist, they've been through a number of providers. Um, and, and, but, but before that, oftentimes those questions, you know, aren't necessarily being asked. They don't necessarily mm -hmm. come up when you're, when you're getting vaccines or, you know, when you're right. there just to check a cough, but it affects the person as a whole every day. It doesn't, doesn't stop affecting that person. So how does community displacement, um, add to 
the trauma and violence and the repercussions from that? Or how does the lack of community displacement, if you have a strong uh, community that stays strong year over after year after year, does that help mitigate some of that? So that's what my research about. Um, I, I would like to measure that. The question is, there isn't any research to, to really give any good indications on on how we can measure the impact of community displacement in terms of one's mental health if we consider it trauma. But um, um, my hypothesis is, is that it's significant. The question is, is, is how to create a study design and, sure. and, and measure it in a way uh, uh, with you know a standard reliable uh, uh, methodology. Well, let me ask you this: with the um, imminent uh, Interstate 81 changes and and all that's yes. going to happen with that, what do you suggest? What is a way to lessen the impact of there is going to be some community displacement? So yeah. how can the how can government go about? How can individuals go about making that less? Yes, and um, and I've been told by by members of uh, Syracuse Housing Development that they they've been making some progressive moves to mitigate the impact. And one of the ways is is in, including the community in in the process and the planning, um, having them at the table at the beginning, so and, they have a say, so that they have a say, and, and it's an empowering. Um, it's an empowering experience. The other thing that I think is important is, um, as I mentioned, Syracuse has had a legacy of, of community displacement since the 1950s, um, since the, the construction of 81 and 690. And um, before the communities di displaced, they were described in ways that were negative. As I told you before, uh, a lot of these communities were stable, had a had sense of stability. If we think about the 15th Ward back in the 1950s, we and and it was here now. We might consider it a utopia. I mean, very stable, uh, cohesive network of of members, um, who who cared about one another and, and created a village to raise children, and 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 that was taken away. But but you would be surprised as to how they were described in order to get grant applications. They were described as blighted, as slum. So I think, um, so one of the other things, which is, is, is one of the things I think is important to be aware of is how we think of our communities or communities that we're not necessarily a part of but are affected by community displacement and, and be conscious of the word usage. Um, and understanding that even though it's a community that might live on this side of town and might have this number of people with housing vouchers does not mean it's not a community. It's a it's a community with, with, with families who want the same type of peace, the same type of um, ability to um, raise their children as any other community. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important as um, mental health providers or medical providers to be um, to be conscious of how we might actually think of the community. Those um, are very good points. I appreciate it. Yeah. My guest has been child psychiatrist, Dr. Diane St. Fleur from Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for the podcast and talk show HealthLink on Air.